Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one. I think today's sermon text is actually verses fifteen and sixteen, but we're going to make it verses fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. First Peter. Chapter 1, let's look there and read together, beginning in verse 14. Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, you're well aware of how needed these verses are in my own life. How needed they are for the members of this church. I thank you that it's already been prayed many times this morning. that our desire and our goal as we move forward into this next year, Lord, that it be holiness. Not false piety, not polite attitudes, Not hearts that grit our teeth and bear it. But Lord, real holiness, conformity to Christ, communion with Him. And so Lord, we pray that You would do it in us. Make us like Him. Make us people who adopt your goal and your agenda for our lives. That we would be shaped into the image of your Son. Do it as we look to your word now, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a few weeks ago, Pastor Brian... He preached, and he he preached a couple of weeks in a row. But in one of those sermons, one of the 
one of the main ideas that he held out to us from God's Word. Uh, he, he pointed out that the greatest danger to Christ's church at any given moment uh, of time in, in history is not any single issue, none of the hot-button issues uh, that our culture, or even our Christian culture, is telling us that we ought to be most concerned with, but rather the greatest danger to Christ's church at any moment is that any other topic, even important ones, important issues even, but that any one of those would replace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he talked to us about how we must strive against those forces which seek to divert our eyes away from Christ and would divert our eyes from His glory and would divert our eyes from His gospel. And we're going to see a similar focus in our sermon text this morning that as we seek to live faithfully in this world, as we're seeking to do that, as we're seeking to keep Christ central and to keep our focus on Christ, we're met with the question, what, what is it that my life must be all about? What must be my focus? What ought uh, my goal to be as I seek to live out my life in this world? Where ought my efforts to be focused when I think about how I will prioritize the subject matter of my life? And more importantly, I prayed it a moment ago, but what are God's goal and agenda for my life? As we've arrived on this last day of 2023, tomorrow we'll begin a new year. What is the most needed thing in your life in the coming year? What ought to be your highest priority, highest, like, first, number one, what will result in your greatest joy, and what will affect every other relationship in your life, broken or not, most deeply, what will affect the life of our church, and, in, and the ways that we care for each other, most deeply? What is most needed in every individual member of our church? What is needed in your family struggles or the difficulties in your job? I believe our sermon text answers that question. The answer to these is this. It is to be holy. Now before your mind goes too far, you start thinking, okay, Trey, that sounds awfully man-centered when you just say it like that. Are you saying that the most needed thing in my life as we enter into 2024 is that I would do something? Because I thought the gospel was all about Jesus and what he's done for me, not about what I have to do. I'm not saying that you need to be thinking less about Jesus and more about you. And it is correct. The gospel is absolutely about what Jesus has done for you and, not but, and it is about what Jesus does 
in you and about the call that He has placed upon you. We just sang it. I am not my own. and You are not your own. Christ has done all for you and He has a call upon you. And as best as I can tell in these verses this morning, verses 14 through 16, the call of God through the Apostle Peter to those early Christians and the call of God to us today, as valid as every other point is that he makes in this, in this letter, the main point of these verses is Christian, be holy. Specifically, like the Holy One who called you in that manner. As He is holy, so you also be holy like Him. Like He is holy. Christian, be holy. Now it's important to consider first how Peter gets us to this verse. Because verse 14 is part of the initial application uh, that he's making that comes in light of the first 12 verses of this letter. So walk with me for a minute as we walk with Peter. He begins with an introduction of himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to Christians who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia. These are places all under the control of the Roman Empire. And his audience is thought to be mostly non-Jews. And at this time, they wouldn't yet be experiencing empire-wide persecution like as policy, like governmental policy. It would have been like smaller bursts of persecution here and there, accusations and questions that were coming at them as a result of their faith. And he addresses some of those. He talks about their suffering uh, in a few moments. And then he, he talks about at the end of the letter, their, their suffering uh, that is shared among other Christians throughout the world. But he, refer, he refers to them there as, as chosen according to God's foreknowledge by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He writes in verse 2 that they were chosen to something, that is, to obedience to Jesus and to be sprinkled with His blood. Christ's atoning death is in view as He's addressing these non-Jewish readers. He points to the mercy of God in causing them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The resurrection, he also writes in verse 4, is to obtain something. He says it is to obtain an inheritance and that they're being kept by the power of God for that heavenly inheritance. He also writes beginning in verse 6, of their perseverance in suffering and how that serves as the proof of the, of the genuineness of their faith and that it will result in praise to God whenever Christ returns and that as they persevere and rejoice in love for their Savior, they're obtaining the outcome of their faith, which is the salvation of their souls. He tells them in verses 11 and 12 that this salvation, it was prophesied long ago through those Jewish prophets. And that it was revealed to those prophets that the gospel which was preached to these Gentiles, those prophets, they were preaching a message not for the prophets themselves, but for these Gentiles. God promised long ago to send redemption to these non-Jewish believers. 
So then coming to verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore. And it is in light of the gospel he laid before them in verses 1 through 12. Peter, he now begins to make application that is in light of these things. Chosen, sprinkled with his blood, resurrection hope, salvation promised through suffering, a salvation promised to you long ago through the prophets. He writes, therefore now do the following. He states initially in verse 13 that they are to prepare their minds for action. They're to keep sober in spirit and they're to fix their hope on the grace to be brought to them when Jesus comes. And then now, our text, verse 14, he writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we're... Beginning our text, as Peter, he's applying what he's told them concerning God's saving, preserving, promised work in the gospel. And as I've already stated, the, the, the main thrust of these verses is be holy. And I believe everything else in this verse, all the surrounding words, support and explain Peter's call to holiness in these believers. And so let's, let's start in today's sermon text, verse 14 through 16. Let's start where Peter starts and the way that Peter starts, which is first by telling them what not to do. As he, he, he gives them a negative. He places this emphasis upon the call to holiness first by drawing contrast with something. And what it is, is their former way of life. He writes, Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Now in thinking about these former lusts, he says that, that they were theirs in their ignorance. That is, that as Gentiles, they were ignorant of the true God. They were ignorant of his character. They were ignorant of his ways. They were ignorant of the, of the gospel. These people were pagans, Gentiles predominantly. But the, but the emphasis and the action are tied to their former lusts and conformity to those former lusts. Somebody already prayed from, from Romans 12 earlier, but the same word conformed, the, the, the Greek word and the way that it's laid out is used by the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 and verse 2 where Paul writes and he says do not be conformed to this world dot 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 and what's significant here is that Peter as he uses this word he ties it not to the world but to their former lusts conforming is talking about shaping yourself into the mold of something else. There's a pattern in front of you. One thing that, that shapes another. And when Paul, Paul, not Peter, Paul's usage in Romans, there's a pattern that the world has, has laid out upon which they wish to press you 
so that you would take the shape of the world. But here, Peter, he writes that the thing or the things to which they ought not to be conformed are their former lusts. That is the sinful desires of the heart. We pretty readily understand the biblical call against conformity to the world. But brothers and sisters, do you give equal attention and realize that there's an equally dangerous connection that the Scriptures warn against again and again and again, and that is of conformity to your own sinful desires, being shaped by your sinful desires. There is danger when the world is telling you you ought to be this way over here or you ought to do that thing over there. It may even be easy to recognize when the world is telling you something that is contrary to the Word of God, but, but what about when you want something? What about when you want something that is contrary to the will of the person, the character of God? What about when you want something, even a good thing? You want something good in a way that is contrary to the place that God has said that thing ought to hold in your life. Peter, he, he's getting at something here. He's, he's touching on the connection between the sinful heart and our outward actions and behaviors. You see this? We know that Romans 12:2 tells us not to be conformed the world to the world, but here he's warning them against conformity to their own sinful internal former lusts, their own sinful desires. He's warning them against letting their outward behavior and their lives be ruled and conformed to their own desires. This is how sin works. And you see the pattern repeated all through Scripture from beginning to end. I'll give you the first example, Genesis, when Eve took the fruit in disobedience to God. Go back, read it. Look at the words. You'll see she saw it, she delighted in it, desired it, and then she acted upon her desire and she took it. And then she gave it to someone else. The Lord Jesus, He made the connection between our hearts and our actions very clear in Mark 7 when He said, that which proceeds out of the man is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all of these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. This is why we read in Proverbs 4.23 that we must set a guard on our hearts. 
You've heard that, right? Guard your heart. You've got to guard your heart. We've really taken the wrong idea about that. And it's like, I've got to protect my heart because it's this delicate thing and I have to keep it from getting hurt. That's wrong. That's not what that... You don't, you don't set a guard on something that's tender. You have to guard it to keep it from getting out. We have to set a guard on our hearts because Proverbs 4.23 tells us everything you do flows from it. The secular, secular culture in which we live, the world, is hard at work to press upon your sinful desires, to tempt you in your desires. Our culture wants you to be conformed to your own lusts. Our culture lives in this, this dream world, this understanding that if, that if you have a desire, that is its own justification. It must be good. That if you want it, if you desire it, it must be good. And you see in our culture right now all of the, the twisted ways that this is manifesting itself. You see the ways that, that this kind of thinking is taken to the extremes, to the points of, of denying reality and, and God's common grace, common sense is being denied. And that whatever you want to believe about yourself, it's good. No matter whether it re- accords with reality truth or goodness and it must be affirmed by all as good our culture is pressing we feel it we see it we're tempted ourselves however I submit to you That the greatest barrier to holiness in your life is not pressure being exerted upon you from the outside from a fallen world. Rather, it is in the temptation to be conformed to your own sinful desires. You are tempted by and want things that are contrary to God's character and His will. Or perhaps you want good things. Things that are not contrary to God's will, but you want them in such a way that you elevate them to the place of a functional demand in your life. As though to say, God is not good if I don't get this thing. And then when those desires are withheld, you sin either to get it or you sin when you don't. No, the the world certainly wants to hold out temptation in front of you and me and entice you away, but the thing that will take you after those things are your own lusts, your own sinful desires. And if you expect to make any real lasting progress in sanctification and growing in holiness in any area of your life in which there is struggle, what must be addressed are the desires of your heart. Think about this. Think about any area of struggle in your life in this moment. Or think about, think about any area of your life in which you're engaged in just some outright sin. You know it, maybe it's a struggle. But now think about all of the reasons 
that you give for why that thing is such a struggle in your life. All the reasons that you give for why you can't let this go or let that go or why this thing continues to be an issue. Now let me ask with, with, with all pastoral gentleness that I can muster, I prayed this last night, so I'm looking over my notes, can you dare to consider for a moment that the barrier to holiness in your life, in this situation, is nothing outside of you? It's actually you. Please, don't be crushed by this. This ought to be freeing to you. I mean to be freeing to you. And I'm, I'm not asking whether or not the world is legitimately pressing on you. It is. I agree with you. It is. I'm not asking if someone is sinning against you. They are. I'm agreeing with you. Or they will, if they're not presently. I'm not asking if you're experiencing difficulties. You are. I'm agreeing with you. I'm not asking if you're suffering. You are. I know that you are. And I'm not minimizing your suffering. And I'm not blaming you for your suffering. But honestly, are you, are you, are you tempted to believe? Are you, are, you, are you tempted to believe that you're being made to sin? Are you tempted to believe that you're, you're being compelled against your will? That the ways that your heart responds to the circumstances in which, which are present in your life are automatic when in reality these may be conditioned patterns of a heart response rooted in your desires. Are you tempted to believe that the pressure upon you and the temptation you face and the behavior of others toward you is such, it's so wrong? You're tempted to believe that you're right to say I'm justified in the sinful and unbelieving ways that I'm responding? Are you tempted to believe that the thing that is drawing me away from holiness is everything outside of me that I'm experiencing? As Peter, he, he writes of the call of God upon the lives of these, these Christians to be holy. And he seeks to make a contrast. He acknowledges that there is, in fact, a barrier to holiness in your life. There is pressure in your life to be conformed to something. A real barrier in your life to holiness. But what he tells us is that it is our former lusts. 
It is the sinful and unbelieving desires of our own hearts that are the barrier to holiness in our lives. And it is those, not, not those, 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 these, our former lusts to which we must not be conformed. Those lusts must be exposed and evaluated in light of God's Word and repented of and new desires put on. We must not be conformed to those desires, but, look at verse 15, but, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So here it is. We, we come to it as Peter, he's making application on how these believers are to live in light of the gospel and as much as he told them not to be conformed to one thing, he tells them now what it is to which they must be conformed. You're going to be conformed to something. And he tells them, be holy yourselves also. In what manner, Peter, are they to be holy? Like the Holy One who called you. And then he adds the grounds that they ought to do so in verse 16 because, he says, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we see here in those verses, Peter, he he gives us something of a definition of holiness holiness in the life of a Christian when we're talking about holiness in the life of a believer. And in the simplest and most basic form, the definition that Peter offers, he's talking about Christians, he says, like God. Like God. That is, they are to be like the Holy One who called them. You say, what what is God like? You take... Just the most basic, systematic theology definition of God's holiness. You consider all of Scripture's teaching, everything God's Word says, just put a big old summary. You can't beat Wayne Grudem. God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking His own honor. Separated from sin and devoted to seeking His own honor. There's no doubt what what Peter he has in mind because he adds verse 16. He says, because it is written. He's he's quoting here directly from the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament from Leviticus chapter 19. And that's a section of Scripture in the Old Testament that it's referred to as the, the holiness code. It's chapter 17 through 26 in Leviticus and it It has all kinds of regulations for how life was to be conducted in accordance with God's will for His people. And those people to whom that was written in Leviticus, their lives were to be marked by a submission to God's will. They were to be marked by living for the glory of His name, His, His fame, His honor. Their lives were to be marked by humble dependent obedience. They were to live separated from sin and devoted to seeking God's honor. So now, Peter here, he tells these Christians applying these Old Testament Jewish Scriptures as authoritative to a Gentile Christian audience, 
He tells them that what ought to characterize all of their behavior, he tells them what ought to be the controlling factor in their lives in regards to to what comes out of them, he says, into the ways that they behave in the world. And he points to God's Word in Leviticus 19, y'all, Leviticus, and he says, it is written, you shall be holy because God is holy. So like Him, like the Holy One who called you, like Him, be holy also. His character must be put on. His ways must be adopted. His goals must become your goals. His priorities must be your priorities. His Word must reign in your life. Can you see the, the, the contrast that, that Peter is setting up for his readers here. You see, throughout this, this letter, he, he's, he's going to write about the various spheres of life in which the believers will, these believers will find themselves. He'll, he'll talk about governments and how Christians ought to live as citizens. He'll talk about the home and how husbands and wives ought to live together, especially when one spouse is a believer and the other is not. He'll... He'll talk about the relationships between slaves and masters and how to honor the Lord in those relationships. He'll talk about suffering. He'll talk about how to relate to one another in the church. He's going to go on to do that. But right here, out of the gate, do you see the contrast that, that Peter's setting up? The contrast is essentially this. It is between Two ways to live. It is two images in which you will be conformed to either the one or the other. The image of the one is to be conformed to your own sinful desires with all its resulting behaviors. The image of the other is to be conformed to God's own holy character and its resultant fruit in all your behavior. There are two goals in view here. You will adopt one or the other, and you're being called to adopt one over the other. When we think about God's ultimate goal for our lives, the, the big thing he's doing. My mind usually goes to Romans 8.29. I don't know where your mind goes, but the the one that comes to my mind the most, Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become what? Conformed, conformed, conformed to the image of his Son. Peter's saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing here in regards to God's will and His desire and His goal for your life. His will, just like He told Israel in Leviticus 19, is that they would be holy and that you would be holy like Him, like the Holy One who called you, that you would put off conformity to any and all sinful desires and that you would put on conformity to Christ and His character like Him. 
This is what God is doing in your life. So that the crossroad in front of Peter's audience and the the crossroad before us is that of your own desires or God's holy character. We think again about all of the various struggles and temptations that you face, the difficulties that you face in life. Again, not minimizing any of them, not denying any of them. But have you ever considered or have you ever tried viewing all of those things through this lens? Everything you face in life, all of your circumstances. Have you ever considered that each one of these are a crossroad? That while you can't control everything that comes to you, these are not accidents. That in what you now face, there is a wise and powerful and loving God who has ordered our steps. And that now in this moment in my life, I stand at a crossroad and it's not a crossroad necessarily that will determine how this particular situation is going to end out or end up. But there's a bigger crossroad and it's between conformity to my sinful desires and conformity to Christ and His character in the midst of this circumstance. Have you considered that for your marital struggle? It's God's kind providence. I think maybe more than once the marriages were prayed for today at Grace Church. Have you considered that for your marital struggle? Have you considered that for your health issue? Have you considered that in your temptation to sin, your hardship at work? Have you considered it in light of the cultural pressure that's in front of us? That that this thing that I'm experiencing, this thing in front of me in this moment that is impassable, that this is not an obstacle to God's plan for your life. This is not an obstacle to God's good purposes for your life, but are part of it. And that His will right now in this moment is that I put off my sinful desires and I put on God's holy character in this circumstance. Another way of asking is this, have have you adopted God's agenda for your life? Have you embraced his call for holiness, his goal of Christ-likeness, or are you satisfied with the counterfeits of holiness, the polite Christian attitude when wronged? Holiness is not just sticking it to them when they deserve it. I'll keep it dampened down, my sin. Grip my teeth and bear it. That's holiness, right? I'll keep on my best behavior. I just won't let it out. 
Do you merely dampen your sinful desires and try to hold them in so they don't spill out on everyone else? As though the Christian life is merely about keeping sinful desires in check? God does not tell us to dampen sinful desires. He tells us to repent of those desires. And to put on new desires. To put on holiness. Like Him. Be holy. I open with a question that, that as we've arrived on this last day of 2023, tomorrow we'll begin a new year. What is the most needed thing in your life in this coming year? What, what ought to be your highest priority? What will, what will result in your greatest joy and will affect every other relationship in your life most deeply, even the broken ones? What is most needed in your family struggles and in the difficulties in your job? What do your children need to see when they look at you? And the answer is Christ's holiness in you and through you as you put off former sinful lusts and put on Christ's holy character. And I would encourage you, when you go home today or sometime this week, read through the rest of 1 Peter and see how he applies that to the specific situations and instances that these believers were facing as you seek to apply that to your own life. And as I close, I, I'm, I'm fully aware not everyone hearing my voice is a Christian. And I need to remind you again that that this call to holiness, Peter, he's, he's making application to what he's already told these Christians about the saving work of Christ in the gospel. And so hear me, if you're, if you're convicted by the reality of your sin, if you know something or you're tasting something of the sinfulness of your sin against God, then what you need is not simply to staple good fruit onto a dead tree. The call to you, be holy, means nothing. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. There can be no real God-honoring holiness practically in your life without first coming to the Holy One Himself and being made holy positionally with Him by faith in Christ. You must first know the sanctifying work of the Spirit to make you alive from the dead. You must know the sprinkling with His blood through His death that cleanses you from your sin. You must know the hope that is tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You must turn from what Peter calls in verse 14, your former lusts, and place your faith wholly, completely in Jesus, that in His life, death, and resurrection, you may receive everything you need in order to stand safely in the presence of the holy 